And by the way, if you guys were not here last Sunday, uh, last Sunday was Rob's, our youth minister, uh, was our, his, his last official Sunday catalyst. He'll be here a little bit throughout the summer if he's not speaking at another church somewhere. But we are getting ready to plant our first church on September 12th. At, it's going to start at LCA. It's going to be their, their, uh, their place, and they're going to be meeting at 1030. If you are in Lexington and you want to be part of that church plant, um, they need you. So um, we, we definitely want to support that. If you weren't here last Sunday, need to make sure that you uh, uh, talk to Rob and be in support of our new church plan at a time when churches are closing and everything, we are expanding God's kingdom, amen? And so, uh, so today, we're continuing in our series on the seven deadly sins. Uh, we started off with, with lust, then we started, then the next one we talked about sloth, which is laziness. Last week, Rob talked about greed, and today we're talking about wrath. Okay, wrath, the main thing today is this, wrath is saying that God's justice is insufficient and he needs our help, but wrath is. Romans 12, 19 says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord, all right? Um, my senior in high school, um, I was already into criminology, I've shared many times that before the Lord called me into ministry, I was wanting to work for the FBI. I wanted to uh, profile serial killers, kind of like the, uh, the TV show Criminal Minds. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go after the worst of the worst and everything like that. So I was already interested in, uh, in that kind of thing. Well, my senior in high school was the year that serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. Uh, he was arrested in, in 1991. And through that whole, my whole senior year was the trial and everything going on, and details of the horrific stuff that he did came out. He was, he was arrested, he was convicted that year, in 1992, of killing and eating 17 people, all right? He kept their body parts in the freezer because he said he didn't want them to leave. He wanted them to be there, even if it was just part of them. It was really psychotic. And he, and more and more things came out about Jeffrey Dahmer that's just, just animal. Um, he was sentenced in 1992, and then in 1994, he was killed by another inmate in prison. His crimes bother me, you guys. The things that he did bother me. But you know what bothers me even more? His conversion to Christ. Uh, Wisconsin pastor Roy Radcliffe counseled and baptized and then discipled Jeffrey Dahmer until the day of his death. Apparently, Jeffrey Dahmer isn't going to be paying for any of his sins in hell. Apparently, right now, Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven right now. Doesn't seem right, does it? Well, sometimes God just needs our help to make things right, doesn't he? That's where wrath enters, where we think the justice of God is not enough. That somehow he got it wrong and we have to take matters into our own hands. Guys, we, we are rapidly becoming a graceless society. It's, it's amazing. Not much grace is given to people that are different than us. Um, uh, the benefit of the doubt is going by the wayside. People are accepting apologies less and less. Um, uh, under, the people's understanding that mistakes happen is less Unless, you know, it, it, and so we are basically living out a culture that embraces wrath. 
And it's amazing to me that we're dealing with things that church leaders a thousand years ago identified as problem. Uh, it, it's amazing. With all of our technological advances, we still have not managed to change the human heart. They dealt with wrath 2,000 years ago. Still dealing with it today. But here's, here's a couple things that we need to understand about wrath. Wrath is a spiritual condition where you think God's justice is insufficient. Wrath is different than anger. Okay, that's the first point. Wrath is different than anger. It is not the same thing. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Bible says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, anger is simply a human emotion. It is neither good nor bad. God created you, God created emotions and therefore God created anger and he does not make junk. It, 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 there's no one in here that's gonna get out of this life without getting angry. It's just a part of life. Anger is a temporary human emotion that happens when we don't get our way. When things don't go as, they, as we want, that's what happens, okay? The Bible does not say that being angry is a sin. The Bible says that what we do in our anger is where the sin is, okay? So we need to differentiate wrath and anger. Second thing that wrath is not, wrath is not self-defense. Wrath is not self-defense. Exodus 22 through 23 gives us a, a, amazing insight into what God, how God set up the nation of Israel. Listen to this. This is one of the laws. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Now, what does this mean? Well, I'll explain it to you. Okay, so you're sitting at the house. You're in bed. You, you got the doors locked and your family's all there. And somebody breaks in. And you kill them breaking in. The Bible says that is not a sin. You are allowed to defend yourself. That is not wrath. However, the Bible says this. Guy breaks in, takes your stuff. You don't wake up. The next morning you wake up, see your stuff gone. You go find him and kill him. That is murder because that is not self-defense. You were not in a, your, your, your person and your property was not in danger at that point. That was revenge. Therefore, that is murder. The Bible says that. Self-defense is not wrath. You are, the Bible says you are perfectly fine to defend yourself and your property using lethal force if necessary. That's what the Bible says. Um, that wrath is different than self-defense. Wrath, therefore, is a non-self-defense spiritual condition where you believe you need to help God out. God's justice isn't enough. You have to take matters in your own hands. It's like, and just like Sloth two weeks ago had three ugly cousins of entitlement, poverty, and excuses, Wrath has three ugly cousins, and once wrath sits up in your heart, the three ugly cousins move in. The first one is this, suspicion. Proverbs 28, 1 says this, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. See, people under the spiritual condition of wrath have suspicion in their minds. It says the wicked flee, though no one pursues. The wicked see things that aren't there. They see people after them that aren't, aren't after them. They, they see danger where there is no danger. They see problems where there's no problems because they have suspicion, right? They see everyone in the world as against them. They see they, everyone is lying to them. No one is telling the truth. Everyone is against me. They, they see everyone in the world is wrong and bad, and it's their job to make sure everything is put to right. right? No motives are pure. No one is innocent when wrath sets up in your heart. Even mistakes aren't allowed. You don't allow people to make mistakes. Instead of it being a mistake, 
It was a well-thought-out plot against you, hatched out in back rooms. Someone's hatching against you and all you value and all you hold dear because they see themselves as responsible for righting all of the world's wrongs. They go around looking for wrongs. I want to ask you, is that you today? I want you to step back and think for a moment. Is everything that you deal with a hatched out plot? Or do you understand that mistakes happen? Uh, Is everything that happens, is that according to a plan? Is that going towards a plan? Or is it just life? Um, Do you allow people to make mistakes? Are people safe to make mistakes around you? You see it as your job to correct everything and everyone, to fix everything that's wrong with everyone else. Key point, that's not how God wants you to live, you all. Wicked flee that no one pursues. They see things that aren't there. What wrath does to you. Suspicion is the first ugly cousin that moves in. The second ugly cousin is this. Is it called entitlement? It popped up with sloth. It's popping up now. See, anger simply says, you owe me. Anger says, I'm the victim. I'm a perpetual victim of things that people have done to me. All right, spiritual condition of wrath will set, will set you up to see the world where you think that everyone owes you. I've been wronged by you. I've been wronged by, I've been wronged by society, and now everyone owes me. This world, this life, these people, they've taken things from me. That person over there has things that I don't have, and I deserve them. I deserve all that. And the fact that I don't have it angers me. Seeing the feelings of entitlement drive people to do things I never would have thought they would have done. Things that people do when they believe they're entitled to something, when they feel that they're owed something, when they feel that people owe them, it's a terrible spiritual condition to live under. Entitlement. Thinking that the world owes you simply because you exist will bring out wrath in you. The third ugly cousin is the ugliest one, it's revenge. First ugly cousin is suspicion. Second ugly cousin is entitlement. Third is revenge. These are the things that move into your heart when you are under the spiritual condition of wrath. Proverbs 20, 20 says this, do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Wow. Philosopher Confucius said, before you embark on a journey of revenge, better dig two graves, one for you and one for him. Taking revenge, getting even, these are the symptoms of wrath. And they're completely inappropriate for God's holy people. Revenge is the epitome of lack of faith in God. Believing that God will do nothing. He will not bring justice. He will not make this situation right. And it's all up to you. See, suspicion, entitlement, and revenge are the three ugly cousins that appear when wrath sits up in your heart and establishes a stronghold. Once we evict them, we need to go on the offense and transform wrath into grace. Now, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear the next five minutes, okay? We have to go on offense, transforming wrath into grace. This is the truth. All sin begins in the mind. All sin begins here, right? One of my favorite verses of all time, one that I have to live with daily, is, is 2 Corinthians 10.5. If you can underline it, highlight it, tweet it out, Memorize it, put it on your refrigerator door, do this because it says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
take captive every thought. We have to get our thoughts right, and the rest of our lives will follow. How many times, if you're real today, Catalyst, and those join us online, how many times have you been alone with your thoughts? Someone has made you mad, thinking about an ongoing family situation or whatever, and the thoughts start spinning downward, don't they? And the more you dwell on them, and after about an hour or two, this person is worse than Attila the Hun. You would let Jeffrey Dahmer babysit your kids before this person. Okay, that's what it happens. Okay? Your mind takes what happened and you begin having imaginary arguments with the person, right? You begin anticipating their arguments. You get madder and madder and your mind took, takes what's happened and amplifies it and exaggerates it and multiplies every little word, every little facial expression, every tone and then what they probably meant to say. They didn't say it, but I know they were thinking it, right, right? And the downward spiral happens until they are utterly irredeemable, utterly corrupt, utterly evil, totally gone beyond even the grace of God. How many of you all have done that? I know because that's the way it is. And the, here's the truth, y'all. Nowhere close to reality. And you know that if you're honest. You know that you have demonized that person or that, those people in your mind, and it's not true. Your thoughts get you living in a fake world, you all. That's why the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because your thoughts, if you do not take them captive, will get you living in a world that doesn't exist and it causes you to act in a way completely wrong. The Bible tells us to do something radically different than that. It tells us not to let our minds run loose. It tells us not to let our minds catch us in the downward spiral. It's not to allow our thoughts to rule us. Instead, we are to take every thought captive. Every single one, you see a, cap, a thought, where you take it captive. Put it in a headlock. Sleeper. Noogie. That's what we're supposed to do to it. Take it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. And we submit every thought to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because all sin, you all, begins in the mind. You get this right, you get the space between your ears right, the rest of your life will follow. Every wrong thing, every violent action, every word, every theft, every angry outburst, every adultery, every curse, all begins here. All begins here. So when you sense your thoughts spiraling, when you begin focusing on how much you've been wronged and how evil the other person is and begin depersonalizing and dehumanizing, exploding their bad traits, you take that thought cap. Make it obedient to Christ. So many of us, it's the other way around, isn't it? Our thoughts control us. They determine whether we're having a good day or a bad day. They determine our attitude. They determine our views of other people, don't they? Well, no, you are in control of your thoughts. Whose brain is it? Whose mind is it? It's yours. Our thoughts don't control us. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Second thing we have to do to go on the offense is this. 
increase your faith in God. I'm gonna ask you today, Catalyst Christian Church, join us online, to increase your faith in God. Because if you are going to, if you wanna get rid of wrath, you're gonna have faith, you have to have faith in God that he will take care of whatever is bothering you. And that takes a lot of faith because I know some of the stories of the people in here and there have been some awful things that have happened to you and it's taking every bit of you to trust that God will handle it. I know that. But Proverbs 16.4 says this. So you, those of you that are struggling with that, Proverbs 16.4 says this. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, all right? The Lord works out everything, even your situation. Yes, he does. He works it out to his proper end, but it takes faith, great faith, to believe that and live like it. The one who refuses to take revenge, refuses to get even, refuses to use words that destroy violence, that person must have faith in God that he will take care of it. God gives us, one of the reasons I love being a pastor is because I get to present the alternative vision that God has for us. God does not want us to live like we see out in the world. He wants us to live differently. He has a different vision than wrath, and this is it. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to take the lead. Write that down. Allow the Holy Spirit to take the lead. Not your emotions, not your flesh nature, the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn to, to uh, Galatians 5, 13 through 15, uh, 13, um, uh, 5 verse 13. We're, we're gonna go through a little bit here. There are four things that we have to do to transform wrath into grace. First thing is this, number one, live in freedom. Remember that whoever angers you controls you. And that is not what God has for you. He does not want you to be a slave to the people that anger you. He wants you to live in freedom. Listen to what uh, verse 13 and 15 says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping up this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You are called to live in freedom. And right now, if there's somebody who is angering you, that you have the spiritual condition of wrath that's set up within you, that person is controlling you. They're determining your day. They're determining your thoughts. They're determining where you go sometimes. You avoid certain places because they're there. They're controlling you. And when you release the anger, you live in freedom. But here's the thing. Second thing, we have to realize this is that there's a part of you that's addicted to wrath. Part of you and a part of me. And it is a part of you that will be with you till the day you die. It's called your flesh or your sin nature. Listen to what it says here, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that, that you are not to do whatever you want. But you, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So there's a part of you that loves God with everything that it is. It worships him, it loves him, it, it, it loves his laws, it loves his ways. The part of you is called the spirit, also a part of you that hates and abhors God, that loathes the thought of, of, of there being a God that hates his commands, hates his ways. And these two are in conflict. And that part of you, if that is not uh, submitted to Christ, will rule you. The default mode of humanity is what's called the flesh, doing whatever you want. And that part of you is addicted to wrath. That's why, y'all, when something happens to you, the first thought 
is I gotta get even. I hope something awful happens to them. The first thought, we have to take that captive, make it obedient to Christ and live by the Holy Spirit. But there's a part of you and me that will be with us to the day we die and we have to be in constant vigilance against it. Okay? Paul in the book of Romans says the part of you in me hates God with everything it is. Cannot submit to God's ways. It's addicted to wrath. And that's why you see what you see out in the world. When you understand that, you understand why the news is the way it is. Now you understand why people can't let things go. They can't forgive. Because the default mode of humanity is wrath, revenge, getting even. And we are to live differently as Christians. Very, very differently. Okay? Third thing is that we have to understand what leadership of the Holy Spirit doesn't look like. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he goes, the acts of the flesh, in other words, if we are not led by the Holy Spirit, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If there's any part of that in you, Especially, we're talking about today, fits of rage, wrath, revenge. Not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't use God's word to justify your flesh. Don't use your Christianity to say, well, I feel righteous now. That's the, that's the thing. I've seen so many people sin against each other, and they use their Christian faith as a justification for it. Can't do that. That's not what leadership of the Holy Spirit looks like. This is what the Holy Spirit's leadership looks like. We have to remove wrath and straight ugly cousins. In 22 through 25, one of the foundational verses of this church, this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires, including wrath. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you understand, you all, the freedom that Jesus Christ gives when we eliminate wrath and revenge and the, the desire to get even from our lives and we just give it to God and say, God, you take care of this. I will no longer live in the yoke of slavery, of anger and revenge. I will no longer live like that because it's destroying me, God. Give it to you. And I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to have faith in you that you are going to do what's right so much better than me. And in the meantime, God, while you're working all that out, I'm just going to live in freedom. I'm just going to live as you want me to live. You all know the freedom that comes with that. Um, last Thursday, um, I, uh, or a couple Thursdays ago, I had the amazing opportunity to go to one of our new ministries called Redemption Meeting. And um, I heard, started by Josh and Chastity, and I heard uh, a little bit of Chastity's testimony. And I said, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking on wrath and uh, everything. Um, so would you mind coming and sharing what you shared at Redemption Meeting on Thursday? And she said, yes. So I want you guys to, to, to check this out. Chassie, why don't you just kind of share briefly? Because it, we, you could talk for like five hours on this. You really could. I could. And uh, um, why don't you just share a little bit about what you had to deal with? 
Okay, well, this story I like to call like the David and Goliath story because I was right. I'm gonna, I could go real deep, but we'll just keep it simple. Um, I was raped by a man, um, a very large man. He literally looked like a giant. Um, I was raped by him, and I had him put in prison. And for several years after that, I struggled with nightmares. He, he said he was going to kill you. Yeah, he had said he was going to kill me. Some, some people had sent word to me that he was going to kill me when he got out of prison. So I found out he got out of prison. I was having nightmares. They were very demonic. Um, I would wake up in a panic, fear. I would have to call my husband. Well, we weren't married at the time, so we didn't live together. But I would have to call him at midnight to drive to my house to turn a light on because I was scared to get out of the bed. sweep of the house. Yes, because you were he would have he to come up there and walk through the house. I would be in such a panic. So we decided one day, we were just driving it, and you talked about walking in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is when I realized what walking in the Spirit really meant, because we were just driving one day, and we decided to take a walk at the park. We never do that. <laughs> so we go to the park, and we get out, and we start walking the trail, and I hear my name, and I knew the voice. He just said my name, and I knew the voice, and I was already kind of past him, but I just kept walking. Josh said, he keep was, walking. He was on the path. He was, yes, he was to the you. right of me, and I was on the path. He was to the right of me, um, and I just kept walking, and then it was like the Lord was if, like, Stop. You don't mind, what, what was, when you saw him, what was going on in here? Well, when I first saw him, I, you know, I thought that I, when you hadn't I, seen him in, what, 14 years? Well, something? actually, I was wrong with that. I started thinking about it. It was like 2014 okay. when this yeah. happened. Yeah. I told you, I don't know why I said 08. But mm -hmm. um, anyway, so as I'm walking and he said that, my first thought was, oh, God, my husband. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my husband's going to try to fight this man, and <laughs> it's not going to be good. Because uh -huh. <laughs> he's like 6'4", and he's a huge mm -hmm. guy. So um, it was just like a, the spirit come over me, and I just it was like a peace in my heart. And the Lord clearly was like, go up to him. So in that moment, I just, I didn't hesitate. Josh was like, no. I was like, oh, no, I'm going. <laughs> so you, I just, walked I walked up to him. Um, and I just, the Lord just told me to forgive him. And so I walked up to him. Um, he just looked at me. <laughs> I looked at him and he, I stuck my hand out and I shook his hand. And I said, I forgive you with my whole heart. I forgive you. And this giant cried like a baby. <laughs> so he started no crying. And so in that moment, it was spiritual. And, and I pray for him, too, today because, you know, he's broken and lost and, you know, been through so much. Um, so in that moment, I just realized what it was like to walk in the Spirit and to forgive. The most important thing, and that's one of my things, is forgiveness. Like, it's so important to forgive others because, you know... If you die, it's mainly for you. And so in that day, after that day, I never had another nightmare. I never not had one other nightmare. Never had another nightmare. I can walk in stores here and not be in fear um, because he is from my hometown. And so I was so scared to even walk in the store, yeah. you know. And so anyway, it was just, it was really about me in that moment. But it was also for him too, I think, because, you know, I'm sure he's never had someone that he, because he did do that to many women. Um, and I was the only one that would do anything about it and have him put in jail. And so, you know, he did it. He's done it to many women. So um, just forgiving him and showing him that he didn't hold power over me, it, it was like chopping that giant's head off. That's what I call it. So. Isn't it amazing that when you actually do what God says to do,
Oh my gosh. The freedom. And the peace yeah. um, in your heart. Like there's no fear. My heart wasn't racing. Like my heart would be pounding when I would wake up in these dreams. Mm-hmm. And I would be in, like, I couldn't breathe, like in a panic attack. But there was like nothing, none of that. Like my heart wasn't pounding. There was peace. And I just gently walked up to him and I forgave him. And till this day, I've never had another nightmare. And that was three or four years ago when Amazing. I did that. So. Yep. Well, if you wonder if the Christian faith is relevant, there you go. That's it. When we do what God says to do, look what he does. Um, I want to thank you. I know it's not easy to share testimony, especially something of that nature. I would imagine that there are several people in here who have suffered sexual abuse and maybe the most difficult thing to forgive um, and maybe... You're, you being bold and telling your story has encouraged people to do that. So thank you very much. And, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Thank you very much. Hey, sorry. One more. I want to I throw in there, if there's anyone in our church that is struggling with something like that and they just don't know who they can trust or who to open up to, you know, there's just some people you don't want to open up to. Um, I am here, and then I have my little redemption team over here support me. So any of these people, we've all been through so much. We're all in recovery, and um, we're here. If, if you need to talk to us, we're here. Amen so. to that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chef. Awesome. I want to invite the band to come on back up.